Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. On today's episode, we continue our Chicago sports movie podcast series with the 1986 film about last night. We're going to get into it. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag today, and we brought in a wonderful little roundtable of guests to talk about the movie. Resident guest, you've heard him before. He's back again since rookie of the year, Dave Spoli. How are you, man? Hi, Joey. He's loving it. He's containing He's containing his joy for the film. Moving on, another guest we've had on here before, Dan Sanders Joyce. How are you, man? Ah, great, Joey. We're doing good. We're doing so good. Everyone's pumped. And we have a very special first-time guest. You might remember her from this most wonderful pod of the year, Jackie Deruthi, Babuthi. How are you, Jackie? Um, I'm actually doing really well, uh, <laughs> I have to say. I'm really excited to be here, so thanks so much. The spirit is high. So, guys, let's talk about last night. Get it? I want to go around the room, and I just want to hear your brief synopsis. Usually, I read a synopsis of what the movie is about, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts on if you were in an elevator right now, and you had to elevator pitch this sucker. We're going to start with Dave. Logline for the movie about last night. First, Joey, I have a question for you. Yes? Do you hate me? <laughs> no, Dave, I like you. Why? Well, I just, you know... Kyle got to watch Space Jam. Pat gets a friggin' Scorsese film. And you make me sit through this hot garbage. The Richard Zwick? Jesus. Let's what talk you, about it. What would you say this movie's about, Dave, in a sentence or two? I'll tell you. First off, we have to rename it. This movie should be called From Zero to 100. <laughs> because all of the decisions, all of the characters... They just go from zero to 100. That's it. Here's my synopsis of this for everyone listening at home. Danny and Debbie have a one night stand, which seems like a good enough foundation to move in together. <laughs> After five holidays and seven montages together, they break up enough times to realize that after running around town with your panties in a paper bag, it's about time you get a drawer. That's, That's the movie. <laughs> Dan, uh, well, what's your what's your logline for this uh, for this film about last night? Well, listen, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack than uh, than my friend Dave here because I think this is really just a, a modern day retelling of the Shakespeare classic, Much Ado About Nothing. A couple <laughs> of <laughs> a couple of Lotharios come into town and meet some maiden beauties and one of them, a, a confirmed bachelor, decides he's thrown it all to the wind and he's moving in. <laughs> yeah, a modern day much ado about nothing where your friends just won't let you have love no matter how bad you want <laughs> and no matter how badly your girlfriend wants to eat ham on Thanksgiving. Which is a whole nother topic that we're going to get to in a little bit, because that one just really drove me right up the wall. Jackie, real quick, your, your, your log line for uh, about last night. Yeah, I too would like to change the title. Um, maybe because truly about last night makes me think like this is going to be about one night. It's not um, maybe about this month, maybe about this year. I'm not sure because the time was so confusing and so warped throughout this movie. I didn't, it didn't really track with me. But my log line is, 
when a stunning man's repulsive best friend won't stop yelling about pumping broads and banging his fists on tables, he distracts himself by finding love. That's fantastic. That's a really clapping. good one. Clapping. Clapping. Uh, mine, mine is very close. Mine was uh, Pig Man and Mannequin Man almost <laughs> get what's coming to them. <laughs> Short and sweet, baby. That's the Short tag. Short and sweet. Put it on the poster. Pig Man versus Mannequin Man. Who falls in love first? Oh, my God. And then we kind of move on from there. <laughs> so a uh, quick little trivia. Well, before we dive into this film, the original writer, uh, the script written for this movie, and we'll get in a little bit about how this is a David Mamet play, but it was actually the name of the movie was Sexual Perversity in Chicago was the mm -hmm. actual name of the movie. And on the poster, the poster says it's about men, women, choices, sex, ambition, moving in, no sex, risk, underwear, friendship, <laughs> career moves, strategy, commitment, love, fun, breaking up, making up, bedtime, last night. Bedtime. I mean, <laughs> to be honest. I feel like that is absolutely correct. That was, the, <laughs> yeah, that was the outline that the writers, that the screenwriters gave to the studio and the yeah. studio, yeah, write this, go. Correct. It, it was also trying to accomplish all of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can I say it was also, to me, I found about absolutely nothing. That oh, is also correct. Absolutely. And it, we're, all, we're all in the industry. We've all pitched a show a time or two in our lives and it's literally yeah. like in office being like, <laughs> What is this movie about? And he's like, oh, you know, men, women, choices, underwear, commitment, career moves, not career moves. Windows. Uh, My favorite one in that whole line, and I think it's how they got it to call, they got it to call it a rom com, was bedtime. The yeah. Bedtime. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does happen uh. at bedtime? So let's dive into the movie because really, this movie. <laughs> just hits you right in the face um, as hard as it possibly can right from the start. And I think we're going to go to you, Dave, first, because after you watched, I believe, just the first few minutes, you said you had pages of notes. <laughs> you were already mad at me. Yep. Um, and let's, let's just sort of set the scene. The opener is uh, the character played by uh, Jim Belushi named Litko, who is regaling his friend Rob Lowe, who the character I off miss off the top of my head because it doesn't really matter. I think it was Danny. Danny Martin. Yeah, he's regaling him with uh, a wild night from the night before. And uh, it really goes in a lot of directions, a lot of fast, and it really just lets you know what you're in for. Dave, the opening scene just started here uh, with your thoughts on that. Well, uh, Joey, if, if a, a modern man on television could be considered woke, Jim Belushi's character would be considered unconscious. A coma. <laughs> the man. <laughs> deep, deep coma oozing misogyny this movie um and it was this opening scene let me try and walk the listeners through what's happening belushi's character you know john belushi light is telling young rob Lowe a story that takes place over 24 hours <laughs> and in five different locations but the story itself is only three minutes it's like a classic, hey, I'm going to start this story on the train. Now we're like on crossing a bridge. And we all know Chicago. Like there's no way they could have covered this much ground. <laughs> so just to be clear, they start on the L. Then they're on a bridge. Then they're on a street. Then they're, on a, then they're in a bar like many drinks in 
Then it is the next day <laughs> on the softball field with zero breaks in the story. So already they're telling me, Dave, this is not reality. <laughs> so, and Dan, uh, Dan, really, I want to set you up too as well here before you chime in on this. Uh, I want to hear your thought on it. I also want to hear your thought on it. It, it right away just screams that this is a play. The interchange between the two <laughs> characters, the, the call and response of the story and the yeah, the asking about are there prostitutes involved, which for some reason this <laughs> character Danny Martin is just obsessed with. Uh, dive in, Dan. I want to hear. Well, let me just go uh, and, and talk about what my esteemed colleague Dave was talking about in the, in the being put right into non-reality is that Belushi had a cigarette at the exact same, like, continuity <laughs> on that cigarette was fucking brilliant. They kept that cigarette at the same length throughout that entire story. I mean, from train to the Well Street Bridge to the street in, in River North to uh, the bar at Mother, which was, I imagine, Mother's, uh, and then and then to the softball field, same length. Um, but here's where I'm going to differ from Dave a little bit. I actually am going to take a different tack and say that Belushi is a modern day Confucius with lovely little sayings like, oh, <laughs> is how you think of yourself. You know what I mean, Danny? Mm. Uh, but yeah, to your, yeah. <laughs> to your point about the, uh, about the play dialogue, yeah, uh, it, it's, it, I, I feel like in hands of a more experienced actor than Roblo at that time, he'd just been watching Elmo's Fire. He, he was really still trying to find his niche as Rob Lowe. It, it could have actually uh, sung a little bit better, but man, did he get, trampled by the speed and uh and and sort of the um prolificness of, of, of those words and this was a, a play that belushi actually had done in chicago dave hop back in real quick and then we're gonna go to jackie yeah i'm just gonna give you my favorite line of dialogue my favorite exchange between the two so if you haven't seen this movie jim belushi's going on this long story and literally all of rob Lowe's lines are no way i can't believe it no way. She did not. No way. Then Belushi says... Dave, that's where you're wrong. His lines were all, but was she a pro? But <laughs> <laughs> was she a pro? <laughs> but he's was asking, she a pro? He's asking all these questions. He, he's in disbelief the whole time. Until Belushi goes, and she was buying a pack of Viceroys. And then Rob Lowe goes, I can believe it. Yeah. <laughs> So Jackie, I, I want you to hop in on this one. I want you to talk about how this story tracks here because really the story, if I remember correctly, begins at a pancake house, which of course, carbs and horniness, that's the birthplace of that. And somehow ends in some sort of World War II fetish. Uh, just your thoughts on how this, how this whole thing tracks as we move along here as an opening, as an opening scene for a romantic comedy. And those I know very, very well. Um, we are already set up, first of all, it sets up a, I will have to say, in positive land, it sets up a very nice pace. The pace of this movie, I'm, I was never bored, confused, upset, disgusted, horny, but never bored. Um, my notes for this truly just say, off the top, what the fuck is going on? I am not following this story. Couldn't follow it. Didn't follow it. But Dan, I can't believe that what you're going to take to Negative Town is Rob Lowe. Oh, that awful. 
I've never seen Jim Belushi actually, James, as he was credited in this movie. This is my first uh, watching of him doing anything, and um, I'll never go back for more. <laughs> so you're just you're just telling us out loud in front of everybody that's going to listen to this podcast that you never watched. What about Jim? Yeah, no, I never did. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's for the best, even Curly Sue. I mean, and then in the span of this, he really just kind of lays the groundwork here for what kind of character he's going to be. He assaults a woman with a towel and thinks that it's funny. Um, and then he even left a mark. That's the funniest part. There's proof. And then for the life of me, like, I don't know if this was something that was cool in 1986, but the whole World War II fetish uh, is just so <laughs> strangely contrived, and I just can't understand if it it's if it's based on something of like. It's really trying to hammer home that this character is so super crazy, or it's really trying to do something that like is going against the grain of what people think norms are in 1986. I really can't figure it out, but was it trying to set him up as being funny? I have to say again, not to not to trash my only Jim Belushi experience, but I just found him his character to be irredeemable, unrelenting, and unrelenting, but also. There, never once was I laughing at him, not even no. at him. No, and like not even in the moments when he's, oh, screaming on the train about <laughs> sex. Uh, I think we've all been on a train before and have been pa patrons on a train before. Uh, I don't think that ever flew very far and nor would it ever be funny. And yeah, it, it, it's a weird struggle of the setup of he's so unrelenting that there isn't really a whole lot that's lovable about him or even the whole like, oh, that's just... Licko being Licko, you know, people literally, I think they call him an asshole about seven times in the movie. <laughs> and they're not being joking, they're being like legitimately serious about it. Yeah, I feel like he's like, to me, he set up what he did in a good way. I don't know why Rob Lowe's friends with him. But I didn't read in one in someone's log line, maybe it was yours, Dan, about two Lotharios. But basically, like, I didn't see that because to me, and I think Joey, yours too, is like, Rob Lowe decides, like, a bachelor for life decides to give up. But I'm like, I didn't really read that at all because his friend is so fucking bonkers and disgusting. And then he seems to be on the opposite side. So I'm like, oh, this makes sense that this dude is like, yeah, is like going to get into this committed relationship. He like, there was nothing nothing skeezy there was nothing leading me to believe that like he would be not co committed i don't know hop in dan or dave i'm sorry yeah uh jackie i'm gonna have to disagree with you just slightly uh on on rob lowe's character dan martin um he's also <laughs> yeah. a total skis ball um because later in the film and we'll get there <laughs> new year's eve <laughs> he just decides to make out with old megan mullally and it is never addressed. Is that Megan Mullally? That correct. And no. that is Megan Mullally. That's a young Megan Mullally. I'm having so much fun. Yeah, her her voice is like almost to that true Megan Mullally level, but it's not yet. Uh, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I, I was just gonna also add in a little tidbit that I picked up on with the double headphones that Rob <laughs> in that first night with Demi. You're right, you're right. That was not a first time occasion. Roblo knows the tricks. He knows how to get those ladies cooing. Oh, I'm not saying that he's like a novice by any means and that he doesn't end up fucking up for sure. But I just didn't like, I wasn't like, what? He's going to ask her to move in. 
This is wild. Well, it's the first, the first intrinsic problem is he's actually Ravelo's quoted as when he first got the role. Um, it was one of his first like major leading roles in a major motion picture. And let's keep in mind that this was the 10th highest grossing R rated film of 1986 at the time. And he said, quote, that I wanted my character to be a sponge in the sense of he wanted him basically to be whoever he else he like whoever he was in a scene with he became that person mm. and absorb those personalities which i think is a really kind of wobbly way to sort of set up a lead character role and this first scene in itself really also sets up the concept of why we find out that in the 90s the divorce rate went up to 50 percent. so <laughs> let's move on to, let's, let's just swiftly move into the very first uh the very first set piece which we're going to call and it's the end of the story at the softball game they're playing at Grant Park, and I've got a couple of nits to pick already here. Uh, first of all, an all-men league. Second of all, the women have to just sit on the side on a picnic blanket. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're not even necessarily there because they have friends. They're just sort of there to watch the boys, and it's a day out at the park. Um, I just don't think that this is really a 21st century moment, uh, per se. Dan, hop in. Well, I'll say a couple of things. One, the, the, so the girls that were all there were part of the marketing team of the rival team that was playing like that. That was, that was permaboss that, that struck out. <laughs> yes. Bob catches that. So they were there for a reason. They mm. did have a reason to be at the game. And listen, we played softball in Chicago in the early aughts and it was a different time. It was a more inclusive time. Those 80s, the gender roles were, you know, real defined as we found out from this movie uh, that that men and women just don't mix. It's like oil and water. A <clears throat> couple things that I would agree with, because we're probably going to talk about a lot we, we don't agree with. Um, keg, a keg on the side of the softball game. Uh, fully on board with that, especially in the early aughts. Smoking cigarettes during the game and on the sidelines, all on board with that too as well. Dave, hop in. There wasn't just a keg, Joey. There was a hot dog vendor in that yes. final scene. Mm. A hot dog vendor attended some makeshift softball game. I don't remember that. Do you? Is putting my Getting kids the Vienna beef, just hitting dingers and eating dogs. Adam Wagner did it. <laughs> yeah, this is true. He, he sure did. Jackie, at first blush, this softball scene, the setup, uh, the way it all plays out. How do you feel? Um, I guess, well, I had two, I had two main bones to pick. Um, one of them, Elizabeth Perkins, is that her first name? Love her. Looks Eleven. exactly yeah, I call, like I my grandmother. Her, I called her Eleven. Oh, she that's like great. Season two, Stranger Things, Eleven to me. Yeah, wow. Um, her saying, I refuse to go out with a man whose ass is smaller than mine. Good luck, motherfucker. What are we talking about here? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> most couples I'm going to turn them around and and of course the woman has the bigger butt that's where that's where that's where our power lies oh man standards, in, in our legs <laughs> standards and practices already <laughs> I'm confused as to like what kind of uh, people she's finding where, where this happening um that's hard to find yeah so she's our if you're having if that's your standard you're it's going to be tough for you she's in trouble also I guess my main bone to pick, yeah, it has nothing to do with actual playing softball. I never played softball when I was in Chicago. I did make one of my boyfriends play wiffle ball with me <laughs> in Grant Park, for sure. Um, but uh, Jim Belushi, always bring it back to Jim Belushi, uh, fragrant sexual assault 
uh, on the baseball diamond. He does not know that woman that he grabs, throws down, and humps in front of everyone. Jackie, you've never plucked a fan from the stands and dragged (laughs) them onto the field and then at home plate uh, buried them in the dirt and then just put all of your body weight on top of them in celebration? Listen, I was offended, and as a woman who's done a lot of improv, which means I've been thrown around by a lot of groups of men who think that, you know, being light means let's go, baby, throw you up, throw you down. I was really, even I was taken aback. I was like, well, that's not okay. If it's not five men at once making you fly like a pterodactyl, it's not okay. (laughs) It's completely insane. It's a borderline uh, caveman move, which, uh, you know, that's the problem with this movie, right? Is there's a lot of moves that this movie makes that they think are cool. And maybe they like were cool like 26 or 27 years ago, but now they're just so completely wildly off base. I mean, we can go into like Rob Lowe being an amazing second base player in softball. Like, okay, first that's a huge giant flaw. Uh, You don't put the best player in second base. That doesn't make any sense, but just like kind of these random moves of, Yeah, picking someone up and dragging her to home plate because he hit some sort of home run. It's assault. Like the picking her up was already like, oh, I don't think he knows her. This is Uh, interesting. And uh, then the audience doesn't either because she doesn't come back into the movie. (laughs) Uh, She does not make another appearance. Um, I do want to ask. I do want to ask real quick, and Jackie, maybe you can help us set this up. So we're watching this, and obviously in Chicago, we played a lot of softball together, but. When we, all, bastards. when we moved to California um, and we all were starting to live in each other's neighborhood, we played a game called Gator Ball. And I'm wondering Astros. maybe if you can set up just the general rules and maybe we can just talk for a little bit about how this was a wildly different, more communal, uh, communal group gathering. Now, did mm-hmm. some people date and were there perhaps sparks on the field that led yeah. to different kinds of relationships and moments. Yes, absolutely. But it was vastly different from this film. Tell us what Gator Ball is. Did I 100% find my husband on the Gator Ball field? In fact, goaded him into playing Gator Ball to flirt? Absolutely. Um, So I guess I'm part of the problem. Gator Ball is a fun game that in Florida we would play on college break, much like you all were playing softball. Uh, I usually, except for one summer in Chicago, I usually went back to Miami whatever, we're playing gator ball. It's, you use a dodgeball and it's a mixture of like basketball, um, basketball, soccer, and touch football. But the beauty of it is, it's so wild. There are so many different rules and there's no tackling or anything like that, two hand touch in a, in a good, in an appropriate place. So you could play co-ed and not just play co-ed. The le- like the playing field was extremely level, I would say. And even if you weren't good at offense, maybe you're good at defense. Maybe, you know, I, I was horrible at scoring points, but pretty decent at being a goalie. You know, I would have to say myself. Well, it, it had little to do, I think, with strength. You can yeah, maybe get an edge right. with speed, but speed ne- necessarily didn't work all the time. So there was different spots where different people can play. And the best part about the game was you're right. You could use your feet or your hands. So mm-hmm. if you came in and you were like, I'm not good at catching, that still means that you can still kick and score. That still means you can still help out like on the field or vice versa. If I'm not really good at that, you can also be good at the passing aspect too, as well. 
and I would say on most weekends we had even, even guys and girls out there and we would have like 20, 25 people at a time. Yeah. It got pretty big and it was like all comedians. Um, so if you were like too fast or too strong, that was not a good thing. Like, you know, <laughs> you weren't looked like it wasn't cool. It was like, can you calm down? Yeah, by the end of the game, you were frowned upon just, just a touch, just a touch there. But Dan, I want to talk about uh, the sparks. There were some sparks in Gator Ball, right? I mean, Dan, did you find love on Gator Ball field as well? Uh, I did not. I, is, is that what Joey's going for? I was asking it. Did you ever, was there ever a moment there? I mean, we played many a Saturday. Uh, you know, on, so I did play for a while and I, I had a blast, uh, but I always had to work directly mm. afterwards. And so I would leave it all out on the field uh, yes. <laughs> and, and then would have to skedaddle right out of there while you guys went to Mexico and had some tacos and, uh, and Mars. Um, right. So, so the spark that may have happened on the field was always uh, left uh, left to to dwindle by the time uh, by the time the next week came around. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like I know we're we're dragging the scene in the mud because of the actions and choices that the directors and actors <laughs> make in the scene. But in a weird small way, it did sort of make me get nostalgia nostalgic for for sure groups of people hanging out. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> running around in the sun, um, even afterwards when they go to mothers and they're pouring beers on top of each other's heads. Now that isn't something that we we didn't pour pitchers <laughs> of margaritas on top of each other's heads, but we were we were definitely had a bit of revelry and, and a feeling of enjoyment and achievement and people hanging out and new friends coming together and and uh, I don't think any of us in this group, other than Jackie, who uh, who brought her husband into, into the foray but yeah a lot of people like like got together because of gator ball it was like a weird kind of coming together moment and there's part of me that was like oh man i kind of missed that a little bit dave your softball days in chicago i mean same sort of thing right weren't you were sponsored by a bar you'd go out you'd play the game and then you'd come back and then you'd go out and hang out with everybody it was a pretty great time sponsored yeah, by a bar yeah, you had to get a little sponsor. We, you know, and they give you like discounts, like Mullins was one at one point. Um, and uh, what was, I think it was called The Rail, right, Dan? Isn't that the place yeah. where you get those killer wings at? Yeah. The Rail in Chicago. Um, speaking of, of bars, uh, that was the only part I enjoyed of this whole <laughs> film was getting to see them at Kelly's Pub which for me as a DePaul theater school grad, it is literally right around the corner. They are right on Webster and Kenmore, um, right under the L. And because I know Kelly's Pub, because Kelly's Pub was where our buddy Dustin was the door guy and would let all of us 18 year olds into the bar with really shoddy Florida fake IDs. So love that place. Love seeing that little uh, little neck of the woods. And that is a, kind of the strange thing that I feel like when you do a movie like this, maybe more modern movies like this, there's more characters where there's only really maybe four, five, six characters in this whole movie where, you know, when you say like about last night, Jackie, you hit it right on the head where you kind of think it was going to be about this like this amazing, some sort of night that sort of changes and pivots and some sort of catalyst that turns everything around and this huge big group of people. And really it's just sort of more of a story about like two people that get together and then their, their friends are both like these opposing forces that are just no good for them. 
But yeah, where's the bouncer? Like, where's the friendly bartender in this one? Where's like the other friend? Like I was missing in, in rom-coms. I love it when they have the actual couple that has it all figured out. And it like kind of makes the other couple sort of like resentful while they're going through their whole process. There wasn't any of that going on. It was just kind of like an interesting choice that by the middle of the movie, I mean, this is really just kind of a two-hander. And it doesn't really sort of come back from that after like this big display of like softball and we're going out and we're having a great time. It's just, um, I mean, I think disappointing is to say the least, but, and then it just gets into montage territory, which is, I think going to be our next topic here. I love montages. (laughs) Yeah. But first, before we do montages, we need to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. And who else is our sponsor? It's the same one every week because they're so fantastic to the Believe Podcast Network. There is no shortage of action going on right now, and you can get it all going on with our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. And sports, they're slowly coming back. Look, NHL, MLB, basketball, still maybe a month away, but UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer, even golf are leading the way, and betonline.ag has all the best lines and odds for all the upcoming games and matches. So if you're looking for something other than sports, don't worry, BetOnline has still got you covered with hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. So what are you waiting for? Head to your mobile device and go to BetOnline.ag, and they will even give you a welcome bonus if you could start playing today. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Back to the pod of the 1986 film about last night, a movie that Roger Ebert gave four stars. I mean, out of four. Out, out of four? four. There was only four to give. He gave them all. This girl gave it three and a half. That's an average Six, of 3.575 stars. 61% currently on Rotten Tomatoes. Doesn't that do- site is trash. I've been saying it for a long time. We need to stop using that as, you know, the, the baseline. It was at 99 Jesus. for so long. And then, right, you can only do so many zeros to sort of maybe try and bring it back to the middle a little bit. IMDb uh, gives it a 6.2 out of 10, which seems the most accurate. Um, yeah, it's about a 60%. That's, that's Rotten Tomatoes, right? It's 60% there. Sorry, Dave. I guess I'm team Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into... 6%. That's what it gets. Oh, 6%. 6%. Oh, that's what Six. it is. You're, you had an extra number there. It was 6.1. Yeah. Um, so let's get into what I think this movie really launches into once Demi Moore and Rob Lowe's character get together for reasons that I really can't explain at all. They really don't do a whole lot of talking. Uh, they spend a lot of the movie talking about how happy they are together. Don't see a lot of moments where they're actually happy other than sultry, sexy moments. Jackie oh, Hoppin, you got, you got a thought on this. You're wrong. You I, don't see how they end up together. Look at their faces. Look at their bodies. They're hot. Like, no one's going to say no to Rob Lowe. No one's going to say no to Demi Moore. I think it makes perfect sense. You're going to say no to that? And then, yeah. and then you meet and you have fun and, like, it's, like, a pretty good time. And then you have sex and you're like, that's good, too? Yeah, keep it going. That's actually, that's a line from the movie. Demi Moore looks at Liz Perkins and goes, I can't say no to him. He's so good looking. Yes, and it's true. <laughs> and it's true. No one's going to say no to Rob. Is that when she asks, but how's his typing? <laughs> because that's a line in the movie. She goes, he's gorgeous. And Eleven's response is, how's his typing? That's the kind of guys she's looking for. 100 words a minute or less, get out of here. Yeah, I have written down here, the only thing they have in common after the second time they have sex is sex and that they both have secrets. So 
Uh, It's a pretty good start here. And it kind of begins this beautiful montage where they go to the Wrigley Field rooftop. They go to where other, like, uh, where apartments actually used to exist. You used to be able to walk into the building. Um, They used to go, and it's to the song Knock on Wood, So Far So Good. In the neighborhood, this soundtrack, honestly, is probably the best part of the movie. I kind of want to launch this off right now. That is one of many montages that happen in the film. (laughs) And I want you guys to, it's a montage contest. It's a montage off right now. I want you guys to pick your favorite montage in this movie. And it could be for better or for worse. We're going to start with Dan on this one. Man, okay, so some really great, really, really great montages. Um, there's, but, but I, are you saying eight montages? <laughs> I counted them. There's eight montages. There's a lot movie. of montages. They move in together. There's I so many. I think they peak early, though. They get, they get progressively <laughs> worse as the movie goes on. <laughs> um, my, my favorite is actually the move-in montage mm. because it's just the most fun. It's just the most fun. I do have a couple questions. Why did they move in her mattress when he obviously has a bed? Um, and they have all this back and forth about what not to bring and what and what to keep at, at the old place. I'd say a mattress is probably one of the things you can keep. What are all of those canned goods in Rob Lowe's kitchen? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Is he a doomsday hoarder? Is he a doomsday preparer? Well, it's a trouble in paradise when you go to put your cookware into the cupboards and it's filled with rice I was also asking that question as well. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple more questions here. Um, not really a question. Just want to put this out there. Ladies, if you're listening and you're moving in with your guy, don't just throw out his beanbag chair. Let's have, <laughs> let's have a conversation about it first. Like I get, Talk I, to I'm him. probably, probably going to say, yeah, we can throw that out. But it's a big move to just go ahead and take it out of the back of the house and throw it away. Honestly, the best acting that Rob Lowe does in this movie is the look that he gives oh. when that beanbag gets kicked and- to the curb. Can we just talk real quick, and we don't need to get too far into this, but just the amount of charged looks with no talking that happen in this movie. I mean, it is really stunning that we tell most of this story in silent looks. Um, also, just to, uh, uh, just, to, just to round out this montage real quick, it ends on a super high note when Rob puts in that extra hook in the back. <laughs> And let me just tell you, it made me think these kids got a fighting chance. They got a fighting chance with this extra hook for the rope. Because they're keeping that taxidermied bear. Goddamn right. That'll stay. <laughs> yes, which was in the bathroom. Yep. yep just yep. so everyone knows, there is a taxidermied giant furry bear in the room that collects the most moisture and mold, the yeah. bathroom, and particles of all sorts of things. No. And he's, and he's worried about he's worried about dirt getting under his fingernails on the countertop, and he's got a dead uh, dead stuffed animal in the bathroom. Dan, hop back in. In defense, this is 1986. The Bears had just won the Super Bowl. It was a bear in a in a Bears jersey with a Chicago Bears hat on. So I forgive everything about this. Bear. Have some pride. Put it in the living room. Thank you. It does actually and end up there. Thank you. By the end of the movie, it ends up there. I was just upset why it was literally next to the <laughs> toilet. I did not know why. You Think never about have a the tough mirrors. Time. You're resting, you gotta like rest kind of on it a little <laughs> bit. It's just, you're having a real tough go of it. And then 
Yeah, Jackie, <laughs> Jackie Hopkins. I was just imagining like getting up to pee in the middle of the night and seeing that reflected at me because once I did get up to pee in the, in, in the middle, I've had two very scary moments with my husband in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> but one of them was getting up to pee in the middle of the night and like not, know, not knowing that he was also up and he was already at the bathroom. And I know this person, I live with this person, I love this person and still experiencing a person in my bathroom when I don't think that there should be, I did end up screaming, running, falling. <laughs> Not too, too, too sleepy, didn't catch myself with my hands. Really hurt my hip, really hurt my hip. Um, uh, terrifying. Jackie, Jackie, keep it going. What's your, who wins the montage contest for you then? Do you I'm like going the for the naked one. You know I'm going for the naked one. Are you crazy? I'm here for Rob Lowe. I did not hate this movie for one reason, that man's face, that man's body. Now I happen to be watching West Wing right now for the first time, so he's on my mind. Jackie, can I ask you, did you catch the dong shot? Yes, of course I did the dong shot. I got side dick and I loved it. Yeah, sliver, sliver of shaft right behind the fridge door. I was so excited because, you know, as someone who's also watched Game of Thrones, right? Like, I just, I see so much vagina. I see so many breasts and they're beautiful, but give me some dick because it's only fair. Yeah, absolutely. It's only fair, just I, out of the fairness. I couldn't tell if it was the light or not, but it almost looked gray and it had me worried <laughs> for a minute. Um, we paused it. We wanted it to looks really sick. Sure. Yeah, face, is, he didn't his look face well. Is forever young. He cannot age in his face, but his dick is as old as time. Old. <laughs> that is the, that is the trade off that you do when you're Rabla. I loved it because also like there was a you know obviously we, we see a lot of naked Demi in this movie, but she earlier was like in like this dinky white bra, and I'm just like I know this woman looks 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 good naked but this bra is doing her no justice this bra makes her boobs look dumb <laughs> and they're not they're beautiful like once they were released i was like oh, look at how beautiful they are this bra was the worst bra in the, of all time yeah, it was like two triangles some sort it of was, weird 1980s and it was poofy. i i also really liked it because we got to see demi Moore making a bed for a really long time slowly and honestly without also not making sense she climbed onto the bed <laughs> to put the corners on. She didn't walk around. She's making her job harder for herself, but. Yeah. Scene detail. Dave, uh, who won the montage contest in this movie? Of the eight. Um, <laughs> D, none of the above. Um, I did like the sex montage along with Jackie, mostly because at one point they were sitting down in a bathtub <laughs> shower to have sex. Yeah. Super weird. And they also- and you know Rob Lowe's cleaning that bathtub all the time too as well. So we're- <laughs> And not... the bear is watching them. Yeah. We talk about how the curtain wasn't pulled close, so water's just splashing everywhere in that bathroom. Yeah. It was hot. I, I'll say this. Here's why I didn't like these montages. They didn't use the montages for the sole purpose of a montage. Here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. A montage is used to quickly move us in time across a few different plot points to get there as quickly as possible to tell the most amount of story in the smallest amount of time, set to music usually. <laughs> this movie broke all of the rules 
they would go <laughs> forwards, then backwards, then further back, and then the montage would be done, and you'd be like, wait, I know less than I did before, and less time has passed. Then they would do this other thing where they would start a montage, the song would end very abruptly, it would go to a new scene with two new characters. That scene would take place for like five minutes to where you totally forgot about that montage that just happened. And then you'd hear that music that you just heard five minutes ago and go, where have I heard this before? Oh yes, in the previous montage. And then you'd realize that montage has not stopped. It's still going. <laughs> yeah, with songs like Natural Love, with lyrics like A Breeze If You Please, A Piece Of Cake, Sweet honey, we're on the money. <laughs> End of montage. We're moving on. My winner for montage, honestly, is probably the final one. Of no, I... Dating around. Oh. No, they, no, they break up. They break up and they start. Uh, this is after New Year's Eve. They break up and they start dating around. Mm -hmm. As we all know, and people on the podcast know, I am a sucker for smoky, smoky jazz music. There was tons <laughs> of that smoky, smoky jazz they dated around. And... It's, a, it's something that movies do pretty often where they, they go on a series of dud dates, which is basically, you know, the one guy at the one date who was doing the magic tricks is straight out of dating around casting. You know what I'm talking about, Dave. Uh, the dude was just like right on the money there. And I don't know, just kind of this whole moment of I'm feeling sad for the characters. I'm also thinking about when I was like in sixth grade and the dentist was putting rubber bands on my mouth because the music was just kind of reminding me of it. And then it sort of leads into this moment, this light bulb moment that comes on for Rob Lowe. And I'm going to go with that as the winner. Dan, hop in. Uh, I'm, I, I don't disagree with you and your take. I just want to put it out there for people that are definitely going to watch this movie after our uh, uh, reviews of it, um, that that is the second to last montage because there is actually a redemption montage afterwards where Rob Lowe figures out his life passion. He opens the diner. Yeah. The city diner. Which was all, always open. I, I, have, I, have, I have a question, and, and I'd love for anyone to answer this. What is <laughs> Rob Lowe's job? <laughs> yes. Please, please. Because wh why I'm asking this is, first off, um, he is getting lambasted for just missing one day of work. So it's, it, he's in a position where he cannot miss any work clearly. And then we see him like dealing with like goods coming in and out, but then like mafia style, he's asked to close down his friend's restaurant who's not getting like a shipment of goods and they're like fronting it to him. What is his job? And his office is very ramshackle. I have the same question. Stan, hop in. See so he, he says it. And he says it in, uh, once he quits and he's watching the cartoons and Demi comes in and says, babe, why don't you just open a, a restaurant? He goes, I can't, I have nothing else. I have dedicated my life at 24 years old to be putting more unneeded restaurant supplies yeah. into more unneeded restaurants in Chicago than any other salesman in all of Chicago history. So uh, that's his job, Dave. Jackie, hop in. Which is interesting because at another point in the movie, Elizabeth Perkins, I believe, and Demi Moore are talking about his job, and they say that he sells toilet paper. So he works in a supply chain <laughs> in, a, in what appears to be something. In a what building, restaurant doesn't need toilet paper? Yeah, in a building that still appears to be under construction at times. 
Um, <laughs> it doesn't seem like the his office is actually built yet. Uh, they're still working on it. Yeah, so yeah, that was my part two. He's, he, he's working on supplies, and then all of a sudden he has to shut down his buddy's restaurant and then reopens it with just cool decor. And then <laughs> Litko comes and offers supplies, Free. something that he wouldn't oh. need. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And that's supposed to be a good thing. It, it was also the first time we, as the audience, came to learn that Litko is colorblind. Because in the scene... Magic. <laughs> He's holding up Roblo's restaurant menu. Yes, yes, yes. And he says it's pink. And he goes, even your menu's pink. It is a clearly white menu with green lettering. Yeah. Dark white. Or never addressed. White as toilet paper. White as the toilet paper that they also sell. Just very strange. So something I want to do address here is I want to kind of put two people in the ring here, and I only want one to come out alive. And this is going to be a little bit of a battle royale right now between two guys in this movie. One of them I'm going to have some words with. And I want to talk about right now Perm Boss and Gary. Perm Boss is the boss of Demi Moore, who she's been casually probably being intimate with and going on dates with. Uh, but nothing probably really serious, isn't really going anywhere until she meets Roblo. And Gary is what I thought. A stand-up, amazing Perfect man. The, sh the ray of light, Gary in this movie, finally. A good guy that knows what's going on in this movie shows up, and he's been dating Liz Perkins for a little while, and we all figure out what Gary's backstory is. You know, between these two guys, you know, who gets the short end of the stick here? Um, you know, who actually probably would win points and maybe the best guy tournament here, and probably who would win in a fight? Dan, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm going to go best guy here as perm boss. And here's why. Unfortunately. Here's why. <laughs> because perm boss, while he's a total scumbag and skis ball, he knows who he is. He doesn't back away from being a skis ball and a scumbag. He knows exactly who he is. And he has a really redeeming moment in this movie. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. want After he gets a little aggressive in the copy room, and this is not the redeeming quality. I'm not saying that's it. Uh, Demi says, don't I look different? Which, by the way, what's your obsession with needing to look different in this movie after she's in love? You're stunning. Don't change. Yeah, you don't need to change, Demi. You look great. We need to work on your acting, but your face is fantastic. Uh, he, he then, you see in the elevator, on the elevator ride down, gives her a big hug, and she parts ways and says, thank you so much. So it looks like he actually has an arc as a character. He's turned a leap. He's turned a corner. I have one question about Perm Boss, though. <clears throat> we see in that, um, in at, when they're at Kelly's Pub, we see them having all the rules and everything. Belushi's talking about not calling for three days. The girls are over there going, if he's there for three days, he owes half the rent. They're talking to a gal named Kelly. Now, if you remember in the first softball, softball scene, Kelly comes up to Perm Boss at the end and is really riding on Perm Boss's nuts. Now, what I'm thinking, is that perm boss that's spending three nights a week over at Kelly's house? I Whoa, love that. Oh, crack it open, Dave. Dave. Uh, I think I'll need a montage to dissect <laughs> it. Um, I'm going to go with perm boss. I think in a fight, he would win because it's clear he does not take no for an answer. <laughs> 
Um, we saw that in the copy scene. No means no, perm boss. He doesn't care. He'll just keep pursuing whoever he wants. But I tell you what, I this this was the one bit of dialogue I thought was like some great writing. I love a boss character whose first line is straight to a woman, and his first line was Carrie. I don't want to hear about it right now, and just totally just shut the hell up, like. What are the we doing best, here, a scene? What is yeah, this, the plot? Just What is this, an improv scene? Come on. I knew, I knew instantly who Permboss was. Uh, I, I really appreciated it. And he's obviously a monster, and, and they do well in fights. Yeah, Jackie, Permboss versus Gary, because let me tell you, I'm watching this movie, and I'm commenting to my wife, Mara. I'm just like, Gary, I love Gary. I'm rooting for Gary. Gary comes out, he consoles her when Demi's crying. He's like, whatever you need. He's smiling, he's cool, he's there. He doesn't seem to have any baggage whatsoever. He is just riding light and lean at all his times. And I'm just like, God, I love Gary. I literally, in the beginning of the New Year's Eve scene, it's just like, yeah, Gary's there. Thank God. And then Gary is a bigger scuzz bag than Perm Boss. How is that even fucking possible? I was just so utterly betrayed by Gary. I feel like I really missed his turn. Like, I feel like I, I like, what, what was I doing? Because I, I feel like from one moment, he's the Gary that we love. And then the next moment, Elizabeth is bawling and saying that he has this wife that she didn't know about. But when, like, did I actually, this is a real question. Did I miss a conversation? Oh, you just see it at you see it at the bar when she like drops the wa water in his face or throws the water in his face. Right. What it's, happens it's though? Super like quick what and prompts then it's, that? It's he just dropped expositionally. Like. Yeah, he tells her like I couldn't tell you before. He's like having a heart to heart with which, her at the end of the bar. Which oh, I call bullshit. Fun? I call bullshit on right because Liz Perkins, her whole character, the whole movie is about like, well, where were you last night? And like, why don't we hang out? And like literally counting the minutes and hours that her and Demi have as a friendship together. And she's not putting that on her man. And she's just letting him come and go as she pleases. Like, I don't even, I, I don't even think that that's necessarily on her, but it doesn't ring true to her character. Dave, hop in. So what you're saying, Jackie, is uh, he goes from zero to 100. <laughs> it is the perfect title. You're absolutely right. Um, if you can't see, I'm bowing wow. right now. All of the characters do it. So yeah, I wonder whether he would win because he's so sneaky, like that he is a, is a really good at, like, if this is a boxing, like at the rope of dope, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I have no idea that Ooh. he has any energy left. And then all of a sudden, wow, he gets it good. I will say this I was by the end of, you know, this whole thing the way that I understood the copy room scary scene with Demi that then turned to not be so scary. Um, it seemed like he did like, like he, like she set a boundary and he seemed very respectful of it. Surprisingly like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We're not doing that. You have a guy. No, I didn't know that. And then she's like, what? And I hate it. look at my face. And he's like, well, like, you know, you look the same, but I hear you and I respect. Yeah, sure, I respect that. Do you love him? Like, does he love you? Do what you are your long-term plans? Right. Like, those are actually like interesting pragmatic questions in terms of maybe some sort of like reversal of some kind. We got a couple. Dan, hop in, and we're going to hit two more topics. I just want to. I just want to ask real quick. Real quick, if anyone uh, was fooled as to who the guy that Demi slept with midway through the thing after her and um, after the rules thing in Kelly's pub. 
we've got this Demi clasping that ugly bra. Hideous. And all of a sudden, pan up and it's perm boss as like it's supposed to be some big reveal. Like she's breaking up. Anybody surprised that that was perm boss? Because No, no. I, I think they said scene one that they're fucking. Like, I think that was set up very early. That, like we had to have some big reveal that it's perm boss as he comes into frame. Well, I want to do two more topics here before we get out of here. The first one is uh, just in general, most unrealistic part of the movie. Um, I'm going to start off with the first one, uh, ham on Thanksgiving. And I'm also (laughs) going to go, uh, that's kind of a slash into Demi Moore's character for some reason, having weird mommy and daddy issues and wanting to domesticate the situation and relationship a lot faster then I think her, even her own character wanted, which didn't really seem to make a lot of sense either. Like she wanted to make everything really special because that's what they're fighting about later. But then at the same time, she's pissed that she has to do all the work. And then she just chooses ham on Thanksgiving. Salty, <laughs> non-traditional, not into it. Can't get on board with it. Uh, Jackie, most unrealistic part of the movie. This is hard because uh, I want my answer to just be Jim Belushi, Jim Belushi, Jim Belushi. Uh, but, that character yeah. be existing, that character having any friends. But to me, the, um, them, the timeline of them saying I love you to each other was the most unrealistic for sure. Especially because by the end, they're in the rain. They're like, I love you. And like, oh, my God. I love you too, as if they had never said it before, but we saw them say it in a super early fucking montage. Yes, in the sexual montage, they say, I love you, I love you, and then I love making love with you, not to you, which I guess is nice. Uh, It's very uh, ultra consensual, very woke. Um, And then then the other one's like, yeah, I love making love with you. Uh, but at the end of the day, they still said, I love you. Like they said, I love you without that. So I don't get that to me. The revelation didn't make sense. That was unrealistic. Also them not having said that in, you know, in whatever fucked up timeline this is, but moving in with each other, like that also, I mean, to me, doesn't make sense. Well, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, this whole movie is over a span of six weeks. The only way that it's not (laughs) is because they change seasons and put on coats at one point. And they have holidays that are these little markers of just like, hey, just letting you know, time has passed. It's St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. So many holidays. Thanksgiving, (laughs) Christmas, New Year's, St. Patty's Day. But Dave, it's it's Chicago. Yeah. Don't you think about holidays when you think about Chicago? Yes. Yeah, there's a bit of, there's definitely a congregation aspect to it for sure. But I mean, as far as I know, yeah, I think like the move, the whole thing, like the relationship's like six weeks and they're just like getting around to it. Uh, Dan, most unrealistic part of the movie. This is going to be hard for you. Mm-hmm. Listen, I have a lot of questions for this movie, uh, but I, I think I'm, I think I, I can settle on the one the one thing that's most confusing to me or most unrealistic is the timeline and it's very specifically my timeline problem was a line from Demi when she says it's taken me a long time to get over this but I did it and you need to now too now we're talking from New Year's Eve when they break up to St. Patty's Day which is on March 17th we're talking two and a half months 
that she took a long time to get over. Now we're also talking at a stage where she is well over this, right? At least that's what she says. She's so, been over it. Yeah, she's been over it. She's gone on dates with the magic card trick guy. Like she's doing well for herself. The magic card trick, I almost <laughs> forgot. <laughs> but if we're talking, we're talking two and a half months, how long is a long time to get over this really meaningful 24 year old relationship? It's a little tough to say because I think pretty sure the timeline matches up where they move in together after four weeks because it's in the middle <laughs> of the summer. And by the time they move into each other, it is the end of summer yeah. and it goes right into the fall. So they literally, they date and screw around for like four weeks. I don't even think traditional date for maybe more than a couple weeks, right? Because they have the whole like, oh, I didn't think I'd see you again. And then she shows up at the apartment kind of stuff. Dan, yeah. go back in. I, want, I just want to give an honorable mention to Rob Lowe making out on New Year's Eve with the girl, Demi catching him and it never being brought up again. Wow. So I want to bring that up as an honorable mention for my most unbelievable moment. Especially when he says at the end of their breakup, for the record, I never fooled around. He's like, motherfucker, I just saw you kiss somebody. I don't give a fuck if that dick did not enter that vagina. I just saw you put your lips on. I saw, I made eye contact with you. And it was her idea to go to the party, which was insane. Other unrealistic part, too, as well, is Belushi's actually in their home. And they're <laughs> living together, and he's encouraging her to cheat on her in the living room so that she can actually hear it within earshot. I mean, I this know. is like that the tracks with Belushi, I think. It's the bottom of the barrel character. I mean, like, I understand that it's he's an actor playing a role or whatever, but they don't even, like, give him – they give him like half a wink of a moment too, where like, uh, are him and Liz Perkins going to get together? Are they going to figure it out? Is he going to be a good dude? And by the end, he's having some sort of speech rant about a woman bending over. And I can't tell whether he's like serious <laughs> or not. So confusing. He's always serious. He's never, ever funny. That's what I'm going with. Go, and he's just go straight for the hot dog vendor real quick. Dave, most unrealistic part of the movie that you watched it. <laughs> That I finished it. Um, <laughs> there's two runners up, okay? One is the most, the thing I don't buy is, is most of their acting. <laughs> Dan, back me up on this. Dan teaches acting. Two telltale signs of a real bad actor is they yell a lot. I'd say about half the dialogue in this movie is screamed. That's how you can tell someone is a bad actor. And they do not know what to do with their hands. <laughs> so Rob Lowe has chosen to put them in his pockets at all times, even when he's wearing only a robe. Also, not when, out there. When, when he has touched a wet door, wet paint door frame, where yes. do the hands go? Right yes. in the right pockets. <laughs> He's like, wow. going right in there. Um, I don't know, guys. I watched him use his hands to make pasta sauce with his shirt completely unbuttoned. I watched him use his hands to do that. Fair, fair. He's good with, he's good. He has great space work. Yeah. Also, I'll throw this out there. At one point, the very first, so Rob Lowe has just met Demi Moore's character. He's at work the next day. This is pre-cell phones. This is a real <laughs> yes. phone. And he just knows her work number doesn't look at a piece of paper just has her work number memorized the next didn't morning. buy that didn't the, buy that 
Yeah. But the most unbelievable thing to me, Joey, was when Eleven, <laughs> who's a teacher, is at school, <laughs> a little girl wets her pants, not just a little bit, streaming down the leg. Giant puddle of piss. Big old whiz, Joey. <laughs> she uses a sandwich bag. <laughs> A brown paper bag to wipe up what was a huge <laughs> puddle. She just uses her hand, picks it up. Well, and she uses the bread of the sandwich as well. Very absorbent. the bread. It's all gone. She doesn't wash her hands or anything. Then the girl's like, what do I do now? This woman looks at this six-year-old girl and goes, I got you, girl. I keep an extra pair of panties in my locker. Not just any extra pair of panties. Dave, go ahead. I don't A child's pair? <laughs> child's pair. A child's pair? You guys, I'm about to ruin your day. Oh, no. Because is that I something can... you keep on you at all times? <laughs> a child's pair of panties? Is that no, but I was once a child who had an accident. This was in preschool, and I shat my pants. And we were going to be playing you, Duck, You Duck, married Duck. the right guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I shat my pants. I'll never forget it. It was my Princess Jasmine undies. I went to the teacher, very upset. No one knew yet. Uh, only I knew. It was, it was staying in there, luckily. And she was like, come with me. We went to the bathroom. She gave me. This is, what, this is what's also so crazy. She did have extra underwear. She had Barbie underwear. She gave me a pair of Barbie underwear and a, then a Ziploc bag to put my old panties in. <laughs> so then I had to, so I changed and I had the fresh pair on, but then I had to, with a clear bag, walk back into the room with my bag full of cle clearly soiled underwear. She, she, and someone caught me. Someone caught me trying to put it back. Alex King, who later left the school, and, I, and, I, and I'm happy for that turned and said in front of everybody, ew, look, panties. So this brings us to our final topic of the movie about last night. And throughout the film, Belushi's Litko and other characters espouse all these different rules throughout the movie, the rules of dating, the rules of relationships. And so I tried to write down as many as I possibly could. Kind of want to hear maybe what your favorite are, what your least favorites are. And if I forgot some, Bring some into the fold. So I'm going to read a couple of these off real quick. One of the rules is always scream about sex on a train. Number, uh, another rule, always kiss and tell. Another rule, all relationships will never work ever. Another rule, <laughs> never call a broad more than once in a week. Uh, another rule, if a man sleeps over at your place more than three times a week, you are entitled to ask him to pay half of your rent. Another rule, never say I love you first. Never let a significant other throw out your favorite beanbag. Dan, we hit that. Never discuss the meaning of sex with a group of children in a public setting. Uh, that goes without saying, yet somehow it's still in the movie. Uh, another rule, don't ever trust Gary ever. Doesn't matter how nice he seems at first. Seems like a lovely guy. Don't ever fucking trust Gary. Um, another rule, always close when it comes to a classy chick. Don't, ah. ever, don't ever lose your sense of humor and never leave a softball game even to chase after the one you love. I think we're going to go Jackie on this one first. 
your favorite of that category, maybe your least favorite of that category, or maybe a rule that I left off the list. My favorite is a rule that you left off the list, and it's don't just throw your trash on the bathroom floor. Don't just throw your trash on the bathroom floor. And I mean, it's not that it's a Tampax. It has nothing to do with what your trash is. It's that it's trash and you've thrown it on the floor. Simple decorum, simple guidelines, simple boundaries to adhere. I'm shocked that it was even a conversation that needed to be had because so, that means that she does this consistently. And so if it's the wrapper, then it's also the wrapped up used one. You know what I mean? Like we could really expound a lot of grossness from this. About last night, a lot of trash on the floor. <laughs> um, I just gotta say, uh, Dave, um, of those rules that I listed, maybe one that I missed, uh, maybe one that caught your eye, maybe one that was your least favorite. Uh, oof, man. Uh, rule one, don't watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> rule two, uh, I especially like women. And then this is when my buddy chimes in with me and says, oh, <laughs> no, oh, that, that I don't know very well. <laughs> that is a saying that Rob Belushi, or sorry, Jim, Jim Belushi, Rob Lowe, they said together in unison. That's like their thing. That's like the thing that they say together. They go, I especially like women, Matt. And then they both go, I they don't, don't know, know very well. And you question the Lothario status of these two at the beginning, Jackie Blubuthy. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucked up. You're, you're right about that. But I think my rule, my number one rule that I, that I derive from this film is that if you really want to seal the deal for all you single people out there, <laughs> you don't just put on music. You don't, that's a, that's, you don't just, oh, let me get something from my laptop speakers. Let me get my little Bluetooth speakers. Throw away all that old garbage. Get, get a cable that splits in two so you can get two sets of headphones going. You put them on her, you put them on you. Trust me, you're going to get some of that. Yeah, especially when you're Roblo and you have no real verbal skills uh, at that particular time. And you're, you don't you're need them. You don't, don't need, them. need them. He's the mannequin man. Doesn't need him. He's too perfect. Dan, um, a rule that I missed, a rule that you liked on that list or did not like on that list. Uh, well, I just want to say as the only single person on this panel of esteemed colleagues, uh, this is exactly what the dating world is like these days. You, know, <laughs> you guys have been out of it for a little while. I just want to say that while this movie does have some problems, what it did nail was single life uh, in, in America. In quarantine. Uh, in, especially, <laughs> especially in the time of COVID. Uh, here's a rule that I think you left off, Joe. I don't have a problem with your list at all. I think it's very cohesive, but I do think you left off a little sneak peek that we got into uh, women's lives. And that is that they do always come. They just don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that all of their friends are lesbian lovers. So we can finally put those to rest. Women do always come and all of their friends, all of their female friends are actual lesbian lovers. We salute you, 1986. Thank you. <laughs> for, 
for bringing us along <laughs> into the beautiful part of the 90s. Guys, I think that's going to do it. This was the 1986 film about last night. You got a little Chicago softball in there. Willie Galt makes an appearance as a waiter during the Christmas party, the Bears wide receiver. He's there, yeah. Willie Galt, actually, Willie Galt is actually in the movie, so not necessarily a sports uh, movie per se, but sports what? fans, you get a good look at Wrigley. Hop in there, Dave. I, I was going to say, there, there's another sports reference in this movie before we end. I just want to make sure that everyone knows David Mamet knows basketball because he has a line <laughs> where after a shot is missed, she says, I'll work on my dunk shot. <laughs> Dunk shot. It's either a jump shot or a dunk. I haven't seen many people do a dunk shot in quite some time. Uh, people, that's because yeah. basketball's canceled right now, Dave. Okay. You're Let's right. real quick talk about the snub of the White Sox, I think, because we got, we got the Bears to totally taken care of. We got the Cubs totally taken care of. And if you remember, Litko's wearing a Blackhawks jersey in the moving montage. Where's so the Blackhawks jersey? We leave out we leave out the socks entirely. Yeah. Oh, rough. And in 1986, too, honestly, I think their best era of uniforms. Ooh, yeah. They had like the old school uh, dark blue, little, like the kind of Coca-Cola cursive kind of going oh, yeah. on the White Sox thing there. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I can go necessarily go ahead and recommend this movie, but that's not what this is about. <laughs> it's about relationships. It's about making up, breaking up. Bedtime, nighttime, bedtime. morning, making beds, breakfast time, making panties, <laughs> panties, <laughs> children's panties, size six uh, X. <laughs> yeah, uh, virgin explanations to children. Um, you know the whole deal. Just look at the poster because it's the 1986 smoking film cigarettes about forever. last. Yeah, <laughs> for uh, forever until and uh, honestly, uh, using chopsticks as being some sort of worldly <laughs> modern uh, move by Liz Perkins in the kitchen scene too as well. Huge but also shot. never looking, like never actually using them. She pushes that food around for a very long time. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, she's, she, she's a mess. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. No, no, no. I got it. Hold. Let's, I'm gonna get it. let's get props here where props are due. This is Liz Perkins' film debut, and she is by far the best part of this movie. I like, can't believe this is her debut. That's correct. This was her, this was her first film, and she is uh, I mean, other than maybe Megan Mullally, she is uh, heads and shoulders above everybody else in this movie. IMDb said that that's how she connected on set with Demi Moore because she was like, I've never done a movie before. And Demi Moore was like, I've never done a play. And she was like, duh, it shows. <laughs> and Rob Lowe's just got his hands in his pockets the whole time. This was the 1986 film about last night. I'm Believe in Betting Chicago. You guys, thank you so much for joining me. Our guest today, David Raspoli, Dan Sanders Joyce, Jackie DeRuthi Babuthi. Thank you so much for coming on, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening, you guys. We got more episodes coming up uh, the rest of this week and next week coming up too, as well. So make sure you stick around. This episode today was brought to you by betonline.ag. Have a wonderful day. Be good, be kind. Be good to each other. We'll talk to you soon. See you later. Cue the montage. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.